Hey, good morning. And whether you are joining us online or in person, I am so glad you are with us today. Casey and I are currently in Texas. I'm preaching for my dad this morning, and we're just taking a few days to reconnect with family. So I miss not being with you. I love you, but I am so excited to have my friend Taylor Walling with us this morning. Taylor is a teaching minister at the Hills Church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, formerly known as Richland Hills. Taylor is a dynamic speaker. Maybe you have heard Taylor at uh, Winterfest or some other events. I'm pumped to have him here. I'm working our church. I'm working you through First Peter right now in a nine-week series I've called Resident Strangers. And we're talking about what it means to be aliens and strangers in the land. And Taylor preached a sermon a couple of years ago from First Peter chapter 2 on the holy priesthood. And I'm so excited he's bringing this message to us. And I'm sure Taylor's adapted that. Uh, this message for 2020 context, but I'm pumped to have him here and I'm asking you, take some good notes because God's about to speak a powerful word through Taylor. So take notes, whether it's on your phone or a pad, write down a few things and I cannot wait to see and to hear all that God does in and through my friend Taylor. So let's welcome him to Sycamore View now. Thank you so much. Well, good morning, Sycamore View. It is great to be with you. Welcome to everybody who is uh, joining online or, or maybe uh, watching later on YouTube. I'm so glad that, that you've joined us for this time as well. Um, man, I, I feel uh, the hospitality of this church and grateful for that introduction from Josh. Um, and as he said, my name is Taylor. I'm uh, coming from Fort Worth, Texas. And so Josh and I have kind of swapped states today. Uh, and, uh, and he gave me some great recommendations yesterday for, uh, for where to go around time. Once I, once I got in the afternoon, I didn't have much time, but I had enough time to make sure, he, and he, he told me, you got to go get the rib rub uh, uh, ribs from a Central Barbecue. And so that's where I went, and I, uh, I enjoyed, uh, tasted, and saw that the Lord is good in Memphis, just as he is in Texas. And uh, then I, I ate that, and then I had a shower last night, and I woke up this morning, and I still smell like those ribs and I'm pretty confident I'm going to smell like that when I, when I get home. So I don't know if Josh was tricking me or blessing me, maybe a mix of both. That means I did it right. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So uh, I'm, I'm grateful to be here with you today. And, um, you know, one of the things, I, just, just even watching that video and seeing Josh's face makes me want to say, uh, just behind his back, just bragging and saying, Sycamore View, I hope that, I hope that you know how richly God has blessed you in the preacher that, that he has uh, planted here. Um, and, uh, and he might watch this back later. So in the room, can we give some love to, to Josh and uh, the Ross family, their, their leadership? Um, this is uh, just, just a side note, and I get to do this because I'm a guest preacher. This is actually Pastor Appreciation or Preacher Appreciation Month. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, if, if I could encourage you to do anything, uh, it, it would be uh, to take some time, maybe today, maybe this week, maybe, and I'll, I'll, I'll forgive you now, maybe even uh, in the midst of this message to, uh, to, to write a little note, to send a text, to put something on his Facebook wall, or to, or to email him and, uh, and just share some encouragements. This year has been hard for everybody, and that's been true for ministers as well. And so what a gift it would be for Josh to come back from a little bit of time away and have an inbox that's flooded with not just the next things he needs to do, but messages from his brothers and sisters like you saying, hey, we love you, we're praying for you, we appreciate you. 
uh, I, I promise, encouragement uh, is a great antidote to uh, the frustration and even cynicism that can creep into our hearts in this season. And so I would just encourage you to do that. And again, I'm the guest preacher, so I can, I can say that. And I, I won't reap the benefits at all. Uh, I just I want to encourage you in that way. All right. Well, if you got your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. You all kicked off a couple weeks ago this series, Resident Strangers. And, um, you know, this is, our, this is the second service of the morning, so I might, uh, I'll, I'll throw in a story I, I, did, I didn't at the first service. I, I experienced a, uh, a microcosm last night of uh, some resident strangers, and really a microcosm of 2020. I, uh, I was going around downtown Memphis and then showed up later in the evening after dinner at uh, the hotel I was supposed to stay at, uh, the, the Hilton Memphis, and drove up. And as I drove, I, I came past one, two, three, four, some, somewhere between seven and ten, I lost count of uh, fire trucks. The, sun, you know, the, the lights are going. I'm seeing uh, firefighters in full gear coming in and out of the hospital. I'm looking around. I don't see any smoke, but I'm thinking, this is where I'm supposed to stay tonight. What's going on? And I, I park. I, I walk in. I am walking in as I see a, a huge crew of probably close to two dozen uh, firefighters leaving the lobby. The lobby is littered with people. I walk up to, to, uh, to the, the front desk and, and get to talk to the hotel manager, and, and I'm just going, hi, I, uh, I'm a little nervous to say this, but I, I'm supposed to have a room here tonight. And, uh, and the manager said, oh, well, we can't, we can't check you in right now. And I said, okay, what, what, what's happening? And uh, they explained that the electric box for the hotel exploded yesterday. And so there was, uh, I, I, I'm grateful I wasn't on the property when that happened. It didn't seem like anybody had been hurt. Uh, and, uh, and so praise God for that. But the, the, the whole tower of the Hilton Memphis was dark. And the emergency power, the lights were on, but they couldn't check anybody in. They couldn't, uh, they weren't allowing anybody back into their room. They weren't putting anybody new in. And the last thing, this is so classic, on brand for 2020, the hotel manager said, we have someone working on it, but we have no timeline for when this will be fixed. And I just looked around the lobby and there's, there, there's families, there's kids, there's couples. And then the hotel manager said, oh, and by the way, are you with the wedding party? I was like, oh, I'm so grateful I'm not, and I'm so sorry for them. Uh, and I just stood there, and, I, and it became just a little microcosm of 2020. A group of people together, they're in masks. They don't know how long before the problem will be fixed. They're waiting. They feel in some ways powerless. They're trying to make the best of it while they can. Great occasions are being interrupted, and they feel displaced. For those of you who are wondering and won't listen to the rest of the sermon unless I tie this uh, bow back, I did find another hotel. I just canceled my reservation. So, And yet this is a picture of some of what even the earliest Christians experienced as they tried to live into their new identity of who they were as followers of Jesus in a time and a place where they felt displaced spiritually. And so today, there, there's some, some language and, and, and a, uh, a metaphor used to identify us as followers of Jesus that admittedly, even though I grew up in church, I, I wouldn't have had a good way to explain or even understand what it meant to be who the Apostle Peter, writing to this group of Christians, says we are. Now, if you're not a Christian, uh, you know, in, inside of, uh, number one, I'm glad that you're watch, watching or, or listening wherever you are, um, the Bible uses lots of metaphors to help us understand our relationship with God. God is often referred to as Father throughout the Scriptures, 
And so there's, it's easy for us to understand. You don't need cultural context to understand a father and, and children. That parent-child relationship is easily understood. There's language inside of Scripture of, of uh, being part of kind of the soldiers for Christ and even putting on the armor of God. And, and man, you don't have to have, uh, you know, been in the armed services to understand rank and file. We, we get that across cultural lines. There's language about followers of Jesus being God's witnesses around the world that wherever we go, we are bearing witness to who Jesus is and what He's done. And man, being a witness uh, to something is, is not super hard to understand. But the language that Peter uses, well, let's just read 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5, and, and we'll find this language right here. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Most of what we're going to do in this message is try and unpack these two verses and wrestle with what does it mean for us to be God's priesthood? Like there's a cultural distance there. To some of us that may even sound like very archaic language, how in the world would that apply to who we are today? Part of what I want you to understand from the outset is that I believe the Holy Spirit inspired this teaching about who Christians are supposed to be in order that we might fully understand God's purposes for us. And in a time of disruption and displacement, if we do not understand our purpose and live for it in a year like this, we may inadvertently live from our pain, from our disappointment, from passions or pleasures that may lead us one direction or another and all of a sudden take an about face and lead us somewhere else. But to understand who we are in Christ and where He's leading us to, we have to come back to wrestling with what does this mean? Peter was a Jew. He is remixing and reinterpreting what it meant to be a, a follower and a, a believer, a, a person of faith, who would believe in one God, the God of Israel, and he's using language about this, these living stones being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. All of this is temple language, offering sacrifices, temple language. And he begins with this living stone. Now, to be clear, as Peter writes, the living stone is Jesus Christ. He's the one rejected by God, but chosen by, uh, excuse me, rejected by men, but chosen by God. And yet, as he talks about the temple, it'll be helpful for us to understand a little bit more of, I mean, what, what is this about? So the temple was in the city of Jerusalem, and it was considered to be where God made a dwelling place among His people in a unique way. Yes, God, we believe, is omnipresent. He's everywhere, and yet He was uniquely located among the Israelite people at the temple. And so, as, as this is being discussed, and we're being called the priesthood who would have served at that temple, one of the things as I studied this is I saw from an author and preacher named Tim Keller that really this is a job description. See, being called a son or daughter of God is not a job description. That just means you belong to Him. There's nothing that you can do to earn it, which is a beautiful picture of how God has adopted us into His family if we're followers of Jesus. But to be a priesthood, that inherently as an identity marker has kind of some implications as a job description. 
And Keller helpfully gives these handles. And if you're taking notes, these are three words we'll start to unpack as we go through these verses. Inside of a job description, there's baked into these three layers of status, responsibilities, and character. Status, responsibilities, and character. Now, when we think about that and we look at this priesthood, there's actually language with each of these that will help us understand these verses and what it means to be part of God's priesthood. So, if you think about this as a job description, let's begin with status. When you're interviewing for a job, very quickly you know, all right, where is this job on the org chart? Who do I report to? Who reports to me? And then, and then not only that, another question that you, you get quickly if you get the job is, all right, so what's my, what's my way into the company? Literally, like if you're, if, you're, if you're trying to get into the building or the offices, you're going to be handed a set of keys and you're going to, your status will grant you some level of access. Another way of understanding status is to ask the question, what is your security clearance? How far in are you allowed? And it's interesting that right here, as Peter writes in verse 4, he uses language of status and access. Look back at the beginning. As you come to him. Peter uses this language of approaching and then begins to describe the spiritual house or the temple. Any Jew listening to Peter's words would have immediately understood the implications because when you came to the temple in Jerusalem, the temple was all about status and access. There were multiple courts outside of the actual temple itself. The outermost was known as the the court of Gentiles, the Gentile court, where you could be a Jew or a non-Jew, and you were allowed in that space. But then there was a wall to the next court, the next level of status and access. That was the court of women. That was the, far, the furthest in that a, uh, a female Jew was allowed to go. But once again, there was another level of access and status. Then there was the court of Israel. That was the furthest that a Jewish man could go. And then there was another court, only allowed for the priests. And so only if you were a part of the priesthood were you allowed in there. And from there, there was a further access point that was the Holy of Holies, a room with only the one with the highest status was allowed. And that's, that was, if the temple was God's house, the Holy of Holies was God's room. So everything about the temple was about, are you in or are you out? Are you, are, you allowed, are you allowed past the court of Gentiles? And yet for Jewish women, are, are you allowed into the court of Israel? No. Are you allowed in men? Are you allowed into the court of priests? No. There were, there was all, everything was about status. And it continued to communicate that there were some who were on the outside and some who were on the inside. And Peter flips this on his head when he says, as you come to him. What's crazy is, follower of Jesus, what Peter's communicating is that because of what Jesus has done, the system of access has completely changed. And instead, every single person is invited into intimacy with God like never before. God's family, the church, even in the priesthood, there should not be a kind of hierarchy that says some matter more than others, but instead, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus is allowed to come to him. You have the highest security clearance because of Jesus Christ. And yet, even inside of church, that can sometimes be hard to believe. It's hard for our hearts to accept that kind of thinking. It's just easier for us to stratify and create the in-groups and the out-groups. 
And so maybe, maybe you're watching, maybe you're listening, and you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily buy into that. I mean, you, you know, churches like, like Sycamore View, you guys, you guys talk a good game, and you, you say I'm welcome, but I'm just, I'm not quite sure. Reminds me of uh, an internship that my youngest brother got a couple of years ago. He, uh, he got, uh, through a film, prog- film school program in L.A., he got an internship with a company called Funny or Die. Uh, they, uh, they're a uh, web comedy company. They do these kind of web shorts, and so he was one of the interns running around for them. And, uh, and our family got pretty excited because we realized this company is owned and founded by Will Ferrell. So like uh, at Christmas time, Elf is one of our favorites, uh, and Will Ferrell's hilarious. And so we were like, wow, that's so cool. And one day, Spencer told us, hey, I was walking down the stairwell, and I walked right by Will Ferrell. We're like, that's awesome. What did you say to him? He was like, oh, I didn't say anything. He quickly explained that on the first day of his internship, he was gathered with all the other interns, and he was told by their supervisor in no uncertain terms, if you are on property and you see Mr. Farrell, do not speak to him unless he speaks to you. If you see anybody who's famous, who comes to to be a guest on any of of our videos, don't talk to them unless they talk to you. Now, that's actually pretty common Hollywood practice, even though it sounds a little severe to me. And yet, even in other corporate circles, we can understand that, that there's probably not going to be an intern who's interrupting or talking to a CEO. See, we live in a world that in many ways operates with a level of status and therefore access. And some of you may feel like, man, you know, maybe like my brother, he was allowed to be there, he was allowed to try and contribute, but he did not have a voice. And it's possible that for some of us, we wrestle with the fact of, man, I just, I don't, I kind of feel anonymous, I kind of feel like a face in the crowd, or in this case, uh, you know, a, uh, a, a random IP address watching the stream. Man, for, for whoever is listening to me that may be feeling that way, that you feel like in the, in the Christian concepts, you're on the outside looking in, I want you to know you are more than an IP address to God. You are more than a mask and a forehead to the Lord. The Lord sees you. He knows you. He cares about you. And because of what Jesus has done, you have unprecedented access to the Father. This is what's true for anybody who becomes a follower of Jesus because you join the priesthood. But not only that, in that priesthood, there comes with that status some responsibilities. I can't help but think about Spider-Man right there, but I'm going to leave that trail to the side. So, When you think about these responsibilities here, the Apostle Peter has actually listed some of them out right here. Look look back at at this verse. When you look at verse 5, he's describing and saying, you're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, and here are the responsibilities, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Anybody part of the priesthood would have known that there was protocol for uh, what sacrifices were supposed to happen. See, back in the Old Testament, if the, uh, if the prophets were those who spoke on behalf of God to the people, in many ways the priests were those who helped to mediate on behalf of the people to God. They were the ones responsible for helping to carry out some of these sacrifices. 
Now, just think about, even for you, a, a, a job interview, it's very easy to list out, and that's a, uh, sometimes a lot of what draws us inside of job interviews, is we're, we're looking at, all right, here's the, here's the to-do list. Here's the things I'm responsible for. Here's the things they're expecting me to carry out on a, on a day-to-day basis, and, and looking, out, looking over all that stuff and figuring out, okay, this is the, the, you know, this is the software I'm going to need to learn, or this is the menu I'm going to have to memorize, or this is the curriculum I'm going to have to keep up with, like whatever it is. We, we look at the responsibilities. Now, for a priest, they would have had a daunting task to memorize and understand the litany of ways that a sacrifice should and could be carried out on behalf of different people in different circumstances. If you want to see the, the incredible detail to which God went when He worked on this system, you can read the book of Leviticus I mean, it is incredible how, and just in how much painstaking detail God instructed because He cared about these sacrifices that would happen in a certain way. That's why they had to be, and the language here is acceptable. The acceptable sacrifice was based on, in part, the health of the particular animal, but a priest had to know not only how to assess the animal, but also to know if it was the right animal, whether a bird or a goat or a lamb or a ram. It sounds like a Dr. Seuss poem in Old Testament times, like all these different things you had to keep track of. And then, not just the animals, but what parts of the animals would be used for what? Some aspects of, some, some parts of the animals would be used after sacrifice for, for the Lord, some for the person who would sacrifice, some set aside for the priesthood. There were all these things you had to keep track of. The list would have been daunting. And, and for each one of us, we may look at, maybe it's our lives, maybe it's the things that we're going through right now, and, and it's just so easy to look at the responsibilities many of us try to carry and feel a little bit overwhelmed. You ever been at that spot where you go from a spot of like, okay, I feel pretty good about this, and I think I've got it, to, oh my goodness, I was not ready for this. I, I'm expecting that next week when my, my parents are going to come visit and help celebrate uh, my, uh, my youngest, my, my daughter is going to turn one next weekend. And so they're going to come see us and help celebrate. And I know what's going to happen. Grandparents are great veterans of the parenting game, they, and they talk. They, they talk a good talk, but when they actually get the infant back in their hands, uh, they realize how much they have forgotten of all of the things that they need to keep up with. And uh, that's, that's, I know that's going to happen with my daughter because it happened with my son, uh, her, her big brother, when he was little. I remember a time when my dad, they were, they were visiting, my dad was like, hey, I'm, I'm going to take care of the bath tonight. I'm like, you sure? You, don't, you need any help? And he's like, oh, come on. I've raised three boys. I can do this. So he goes off into the bathroom with my, my son, and from across the house, all of a sudden, I hear my dad yelp, and he's like, ah! And I, I run across the house. I'm like, what, what happened? What happened? And as I run into the bathroom, I see that first there's a very, very full payload of a diaper on the floor. Uh, and then I look up, and I, and I see that my, my dad is holding my, my infant son, but even though he's right next to a bathtub. He is sticking my son's naked rear end into our bathroom sink, and he's got the water, and he's splashing it at my son's rear end. He's doing all of this about a foot away from my toothbrush, or my former toothbrush, and I'm like, I'm like, what happened? He's like, I'm sorry, I forgot to check, and just all of a sudden, I mean, he went from super confident to completely overwhelmed. Now, I tell that, number one, because I love embarrassing my dad, but number two, uh, and my dad's a preacher, and he told stories that embarrassed me all the time, so that's why. It's, it's a, you know, I don't believe in karma, but I like practicing it. So anyway, um, this is a year in which so many of us, I mean, maybe like me, I, I look back at the beginning of 2020, I preached the first sermon of the year at our church, and I preached about these goals and plans that God might give you, and how amazing it's all going to be, and now here we are. 
And how many of us have looked at the responsibilities and they have adapted and pivoted and all these words we keep using this year that, that have now put us at a place of completely overwhelmed? Maybe like, I'm sure in this church, not unlike some of the folks that I've talked to at my church, some have had to be put in the impossible place of deciding what seven family members are allowed to come to the funeral. Others have been put in the spot where they, as the primary um, breadwinner for the family, suddenly been on the furloughed list. Others have, have tried their best to balance work and life at home and, and, and trying, to, trying to help the kids and yet distance learning and all of its difficulties and then all the problems of trying to keep up with everything and working late in the night and experiencing a new level of burnout and fatigue and stress and trauma like never before. And, and part of what we have to wrestle with is it, it is easy to begin to measure our lives only based on how well we're keeping up with all the responsibilities. And we take that mindset and we can carry it right into our faith. I'll just be honest with you, Sycamore View family, I I have had to unlearn over the years the dangerous tendency to responsible my way into being a good Christian, thinking that by keeping up with all those responsibilities, I would protect and maintain my status with God. Because I didn't really understand grace. And if I'm honest, if each one of us is honest, then deep down we would be willing to admit the issues with keeping up the responsibilities isn't just that it's so much that we can't do it. At bedrock, it's that there's a lot of days when I know what God wants, and yet His will and my will go in two different directions, and I choose my way. And at the end of the day, that's, that's not an issue of responsibility. That's an issue of character. Inside of a job interview, character is the hardest thing to pinpoint. That's why HR companies, uh, firms, they, they lean so hard on those references to try and get a better picture of what is the character of this individual. It's hard to train character. And one of the struggles is, as we look at what we're called to in the priesthood, you look back at verse 5, and there's one word that describes the character of the priesthood. That we're to be a holy priesthood. The word holy, um, man, we hear it a lot in, in church, sing it sometimes, see it in Scripture. Clearly, it's an important concept that the Lord wants us to understand, and at the same time, there's still a foreign nature to that word. Holy means to be set apart as sacred and free from all evil. That is an impossibly high bar. You look at that and go, okay, we're supposed to be a holy priesthood. Those those words were true for the, the, the Jewish priests. And one of the things that they had to reckon with was even though they were helping to represent the people to God through sacrifices, they also had to offer sacrifices on behalf of themselves, because they too had a character issue. That's why once a year, on one day, the person with the highest status and the greatest responsibility, the high priest, would go into the Holy of Holies. No one would follow him, if, if God forbid, that 
individual had a, a stroke or a heart attack, something happened in there, they had a rope tied around his waist to pull him out because no one else would go into that space of pure holiness in the presence of God. And on that one day, the Day of Atonement, they would offer, the high priest would offer a sacrifice on behalf of all of Israel, including himself, in order to come back to the forgiveness and grace of God that comes at great cost. Here's the domino effect for each one of us before a holy God. We have unholy characters that cause us to neglect our responsibilities, and therefore we lose our status. This was the issue for Israel over and over and over again, which is why they had to live upon and beg for the forgiveness and grace of God. But it continues to be true for each one of us today, and that's what makes God's response and God's plan of salvation such good news. That God looks at us in that plight of again and again and again, broken character, broken responsibilities, a lost status and access, and God was not content to leave us in that place of that cycle of disappointment and, and brokenness and sin. And so God came, fully God, fully man, in the person Jesus, who would become the new high priest, who would be the one who would live with perfect character, truly holy in the midst of an unholy people, and then would carry out every responsibility. And through that would gain for us the greatest status and access to God the Father. This is what it means when the New Testament calls Jesus our great high priest. He is the one who has broken that cycle so that no longer do we have to stand on the outside and wonder and go, is there enough that I could do that I would be allowed in? Is there, is there enough ways that I could behave so that I might belong? In the gospel story of Jesus, the great high priest, we can belong even when we struggle to behave. That grace and mercy reaches past where, past, past where we think it's willing to go and finds us in the outermost court, even at the edge of the world, even in a bed of sin, and rescues us and offers us grace and mercy that we cannot imagine. This is, this is what it means to look and realize Jesus is the one who has done this, and, and Peter actually has already said that in chapter 1. I want to show you real quick where, where he, he tries to help them understand. As he's writing to this group, he says in chapter 1, verse 18, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus was the one and only eternally acceptable sacrifice. He is the one and only eternally holy high priest. He is the one and only who has carried out every responsibility. And the scandal of the gospel is that he looks at you and me and says, now I apply that status to you. And the next step is that God says, and now the Holy of Holies will no more be in a temple, but it will be in the hearts of every one of my priesthood. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, one of the revolutions of what Jesus has done is that he has made you a walking holy of holies, even in 2020. 
that wherever you go, you take with you the presence of God who is transforming your character, who is reminding and prompting you in the midst of struggle to pursue the good responsibilities God gives us, not as burdens to carry, but as blessings to live into. And He is helping us to share with the world the news of what Jesus has done. And see, when we, when we begin to understand this, we, we can begin to understand the, the, the transformation, that this, this awakening that happens in our hearts and lives. I, I want to tell you a story to help, help kind of tie all this together. It's um, about a man named Richard. He went, uh, went on a mission trip to Poland, and, uh, and while Richard was there, he knew that his wife had Polish heritage. And so uh, she wasn't on the trip. He decided, you know, I'm going to take some family papers. I'm going to go to a city manager's office, and I'm going to try and, try and find a family tree for my wife. What a great surprise. So he goes into the office, starts to explain. He uses her, uh, her family's uh, maiden name, uh, Promnitz. When he uses that, the woman at the, at, the, at the front, the clerk, furrows her brow and says, no, no, no Promnitz, and then goes, walks to the back. Richard was a little confused. Well, next, out comes the city manager himself, and he is angry, and he says, no, no von Promnitz. And, and again, like this, Richard's like, I'm, not, I'm just here, and he hands, he hands the papers. Well, the city manager grabs the papers, walks away, and, and disappears. Richard's just standing there. He's thinking like, Man, what is, am I, in, what, what's happening? After a few minutes, he gets invited into the city manager's office, and the man has calmed down and, and says to Richard, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I was upset. You need to understand that that as far as our records are concerned, uh, we believe the von Promnitz line to have died out generations ago. And Richard says, well, not in Minnesota. And in, the city manager says, what you need to understand, sir, is that your, if this is all true, your wife belongs to the royal von Promnitz family line. And that if, if this is indeed true, she is a countess, and you, sir, are a count. And your family could lay claim to some 34 palaces, mansions, and hunting lodges around the region. Richard looked back and said, I think I need to call my wife. <laughs> Turns out it was all true. I know this sounds like a preacher story, but I actually met Richard a couple of years ago. This is a, a picture of Richard and his, his wife and two daughters, and uh, the next few photos you'll see uh, there's, uh, there's all these different properties that have the von Promnitz name upon them. And the city manager has said, hey, whatever, whatever building has the von Promnitz family name, you could technically lay claim to basically a fortune in Polish real estate with all these different buildings that, that had their name on it that they could have claimed. And What's incredible is God took this moment to, to make them both realize as, as uh, Richard and his wife talked and prayed together and realized this is an opportunity. It is an open door. And so this newfound status led them to say, what are the real responsibilities we want to carry out? And that's as followers of Jesus. And they, they thought about it and realized, man, Pol Poland is in many ways, it is a post-Christian nation like much of Europe. That's why Richard was there for a mission trip in the first place. And then they went on a family trip to go meet more of uh, the representatives of uh, Polish royalty and, and the government. And, and when, they, when the, the um, Polish leaders began to realize that they, these Americans were not just going to take all the things that they could 
by right of birth. They could have claimed all those things, and they said, no, we, we want to honor the Polish people. This belongs to them. We, we don't feel that this is something we need to take. We just want to steward this well. And so they suddenly were afforded the opportunity to do something that the von Promnitz used to do generations ago, which was to host concerts for, and, and host a, a concert series. And, and they said, we want you to do this. This was part of your family heritage. And so we want you to do this, and we want you to bring in whoever you want to perform whatever music that you want. And so all of a sudden, they had this opportunity to invite Christian choral groups and choirs and uh, orchestras to perform Christian works of music that tell the gospel story. And in a post-Christian nation, suddenly these, these, this family found themselves with the status and the ability to tell the gospel story in a place where it had not been told. And they continue to have these incredible stories about what God is doing in Poland through this surprising moment of waking up to an inheritance and an identity they did not know they had. So if, if you know preachers, you know where I'm going. And you may roll your eyes, but for each one of us, I pray the Lord would awaken in us to help us to realize we are not only part of a priesthood, we are part of the royal family of God. Look back at, at the verse that, that you all kicked off this series with, where Peter follows in verse 9 and says, you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Now, now think for a moment before these next, this next verse. Think about, think about that story. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is our story, and part of what God has purposed for us is to be a part of the royal priesthood, carrying with us the character of Christ, not because we've earned it, but because God has robed us with the righteousness of Jesus, filled us with His Holy Spirit, leading us to carry out responsibilities for the blessing of others and ourselves for God's glory, and walking with a status that no crisis can take away. And Sycamore View, my, my prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer for every Christian is that we would recognize, celebrate, and live into, even in the midst of being resident strangers, we are the royal priesthood. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this time. Thank you for, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you've spoken through your word. Um, would you strip away from everybody's memory anything that I said that doesn't belong? And would you highlight for each one of us in our hearts the truth you want us to hear, the love you want us to feel, and the hope that you hold out before us? Do this, we pray, in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's continue worshiping together.